Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are broadcasting from KWKY Mercy One. Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. I'm doing that here in Des Moines, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Executive Vice President of the Newman Idea. You can check both of those out at mchs.edu and newmanidea.com, uh, org, excuse me, newmanidea.org. Bud is out there in Pittsburgh. Bud, what are you up to in the city of Three Rivers? I'm the Director of the National Institute for Newman Studies here in Pittsburgh, and we're at newmanstudies.org. So, folks, uh, we're out here in Des Moines, at least. Uh, it's starting to be full-on spring. So uh, I know everybody's been more cautious of uh, what their bodies have been doing lately, especially in terms of, um, you know, coughs and everything like this. And so uh, the flowers are blooming, or in our yard, that means the dandelions are blooming. Uh, and so uh, spring really starting to be here Uh people wanting to stay outside, things like this. Um, it's a way in which we know that, you know, we've been on the, you know, dealing with COVID for weeks now, but time starts moving on and we, we see nature responding and everything like that. So I do hope people get a chance, at least even if it's just out in their yards, uh, to, to enjoy the fact that the seasons are changing, uh, especially finally here in Iowa, where only a few weeks ago we were having snow. But what's Pittsburgh like out there? Yeah, one of my daughters just told me it's it's 67 outside right now, so we'll take it. I think it's supposed to rain most of the rest of the day, so we're we're taking a little break from homeschooling. I don't I don't mean to make light of the situation in our country, which still is quite serious, but um, I do have to say, as someone who struggles with seasonal allergies, it's kind of <laughs> it's a trial for the mind these days because you know any sort of sign of cough or wheezing, you get a bit nervous. But for me, that's kind of par for the course this time of year. Oh, that's definitely the case for uh, my entire family. And so uh, if I sound like, uh, you know, I, I've not taken up smoking. I don't want anyone to worry about me in that regard, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, um, life life goes on and you, you start to remember, what was it like back in 2019 and 2018? You know, the time before and making comparisons to what things uh, were, were like. So uh, yeah, you know, um, life is, uh, you don't want to make anything... Uh, uh, like you said, light of anything like that, but I'm hoping that people get a chance, if even in, in the small ways, uh, to appreciate, um, like you said, things like uh, spring and uh, in the midst of everything like that. We're still in Easter tide. I hope that people um, are finding their own ways uh, possible to, to celebrate that with their families. Again, that seems like something um, that was both yesterday and uh, a month ago, uh, but Hopefully, you know, the, the ways that we're making sure to reach out and, and finding um, people uh, to talk to. Um, and I know that some people are, are getting a little chances to, to do a little more than they used to uh, just even a few weeks ago around the country. So uh, hopefully blessings uh, for everybody out there listening and uh, looking to the future. Yeah. And you mentioned dandelions. I saw a friend post on Facebook recently that like dandelions used to be celebrated and embraced. So something to think about this year you know don't just automatically go to like eradicating your dandelions from your yard yeah i really wanted to try to eat them you're supposedly supposed to make you can make wine and tea out of them 
Uh, and then every, the minute I started to do that, people who with more gardening knowledge than me immediately stopped me and said, there are so many chemicals in the ground. Do not eat your dandelions in your front yard. And I said, note well taken. Um, as always, we're underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Um, I know multiple of our uh, students who, um, they're the graduates of, of Mercy doing the, the hard frontline work here uh, in the middle of the COVID crisis. We're very proud of them. Um, if you're interested in being a part of the medical response, not only for COVID, but in the future and um, helping people in this way in, in, in concert with the Sisters of Mercy is, and all that they have done in their legacy. mchs.edu um, starting uh, in summer, if you'd like, but we also have all the fall classes as well. Yeah, it's finals week, so it's game time. I remember in college, like, all my buddies were stressed, and I was the nerd, like, can't wait to demonstrate what I learned this semester, but I'm, I'm getting some <laughs> I'm getting some good, solid research papers at the end of this spring semester. Kind of hard to believe. No, well, that's good. I mean, uh, hopefully, uh, the, the, the crucible of what we're going through, you know, you can either uh, – that can, like, affect a lot of people, and no one should feel bad um, feeling the bumps and bruises of the day. But uh, I do think that it's interesting to see how well some of the students are responding, and we're very proud of them. Um, we've had some uh, uncommon good all-stars here on the last few weeks. We have one that we haven't talked to for a while on today. Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy. You should go check out his Catholic movie guy podcast. Uh, but uh, we're having him on because I'm guessing some of you are watching more movies and television than you had in a long time. And uh, so we thought, what better way to maybe lighten it up a bit, uh, you know, finally after processing a lot of the, the events of the day. Let's go talk to Steve and have him talk about maybe movies that you in your free time or with your family should get a chance to talk about. And maybe just even the experience of what it's like to think about movies now that we don't go to theaters and uh, making time to experience things like movies together with a family. So uh, Steve Wickmer back on the show, Catholic movie guy. We're uh, always happy to have him with us. Um, and he even got Bud to watch a few movies that I don't think <laughs> Bud would have otherwise. So, uh, you know, a momentous occasion. Yeah. Like you're saying, Bo, I think um, in the normal routine of life, sometimes it's hard to sneak in movies because you get home from work and dinner, get, get the kids ready for bed. But I mean, understandably families have a little more time to, to sit down and talk about these things. So hopefully we can give folks some good fodder to, um, to I mean, movies can be an opportunity to reflect on some important themes with their family. So we're going to try to do that, do that today. So yep. Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy coming up after this, this is Bo Bonner, and Dr. Bud Mar, the uncommon good. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mahart joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. Today our guest is Steve Wickmer, the Catholic movie guy. Uh, Steve has been on the show multiple times. We've been on his show. It's always great to have him on uh, the air. And like we said, we think people have had a bit more time to maybe watch movies as a family. So we wanted to get Steve on to talk about uh, movies that people should watch and maybe just the phenomenon of how movies can bring families together in times such as these. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, guys. Good to be with you, and I'm glad we're all still alive and kicking, so I'm honored as usual. <laughs> no, no, that, that's always good. Yeah, we're alive kicking. If you have your jobs, you should uh, you should be very thankful for what's going on. 
So, Steve, uh, have you had to change the way you've been watching movies, i.e. because there's more kids around and more, <laughs> you have to do more family things uh, and you're not able to sneak off into the Plato's cave of uh, the movie theater, watch something on your own? Uh, well, you know, I haven't been out and about watching movies before the coronavirus because of uh, the death of MoviePass. So that you know, that financially caused me to refocus my energy, and this has just brought it home. But I've always been a big believer, like, you know, I, I instill in the kids the Catholic faith first and foremost. But second to that would certainly be a love of the movies. So I think it's my duty to watch as many movies as possible. So this has just been a normal April as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's nice. Well, um, I, I know that there's plenty of movies that we can get into. Uh, uh, bef but before we do, um, like you said, Movie Pass uh, makes movie watching a, a lot more uh, difficult. Um, but uh, for people who maybe haven't had got to hear uh, different parts of the show, uh, not only just to advertise your podcast, but um, you know. What, what made you decide that uh, the bold claim you were going to make about yourself is uh, the Catholic movie guy rather than the, the Catholic uh, lawyer or, you know, the Catholic uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan? Other things we know that you're, you, you, you enjoy as well. So there's always been a, a sort of niche for Catholic movies and reviews in that regard. And I, I you know, not that those aren't great. And you know, especially during this, um, Easter season and everything, it's, it's always good to watch religious films, but I'm the Catholic movie guy. I'm just a Catholic guy who likes movies, and I I did not find, um, there are some good online reviewers, but there was no one with a podcast that filled that, that idea, which is just a Catholic guy living my life. I want to see uh, how to uh, engage with quality art in, in our time and, and discuss it, and so I didn't, you know, I have no, I have no theological training other than Catholic school, and uh, I'm a lawyer by trade. But what I have, you know, from from a very young age, steeped myself in is watching movies and talking a lot, and so that's how I did it. I dubbed myself that because there was no Catholic movie guy, and until someone takes the crown from me, you can find me at CatholicMovieGuy.com and just hear one Catholic's perspective on quality art. It's sort of like Highlander, but not as there can uh, there Sean can only Connery. be one. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, so I'm glad that we're throwing out really old movies instead of, you know, coming out of the gate with a new one. But to rectify that, um, so what's a what's a movie that people we you would recommend that they watch? We can talk about more the the phenomenon of some movies being directly released to streaming services, or even sort of the uh, the way that there's streaming services are taking over even before COVID with, you know, Netflix releasing their own movies. But if there's just one that out of the gate, you say people should take a chance to go watch this movie. Uh, what would be the first one you'd want to kick off everything with? Do you want, do you want to start with the more adult movie goer or the family viewer? Let's do the family viewer first and then people mm. can uh, appropriately uh, make decisions uh, after that. <laughs> okay, so so family-wise, you know, one of the biggest movies that's on streaming right now and for free, if you have Disney, uh, free, I say that, <laughs> if you subscribe to Disney Plus is Onward, the new Pixar movie. Um, speaking from my personal perspective, though, this is a little fraught with peril because it seems now that every single movie that comes out that's that maybe period, but that's aimed at uh, a family audience coming after the uh, the last Star Wars movie has to have a more or less oblique reference to a same-sex partnership, and this one is no exception. 
so uh, there is such an oblique reference in this movie, but I'm not going to harp on that because, you know, that's one of those things you, you can find out on the Internet. You can read a review and take it or leave it. If that's going to stop you, I, I can't argue with you. But if we just put that to the side, uh, I went into this movie very skeptically because the last few Pixar movies, in my opinion, have been, you know, not necessarily bad, but certainly a step down from their heyday. And this one didn't look great to me. It looked like some hard rocking, elvish, trollish figures. I don't know. And they're, they're trying to bring their father back from the dead. It was all very weird. So I came in with very low expectations. But I have to say, I watched it uh, the other night, and I was I was blown away. I don't know if you've seen it, Bo and, and Bud, but it emotionally affected me. And it has, um, it has a, as its main theme, I think, a calling back to a sort of traditional understanding of human existence that it seems to say is lost on the modern world and so it's a very interesting point in that way as well well i do steve, think it's interesting oh go, oh go ahead no bud go ahead no as, as steve one thing that jumps out to me about the recent pixar films which um as a catholic parent i'm really pleased to see is it felt like when we were growing up especially like in the disney orbit a big motif in like animated flicks was sort of like the misunderstood uh, adolescent or young adult who has to kind of like free themselves from the constraints of, of parenthood of, of like authoritarian mm -hmm. parent figures. I think I even remember when we went to church together, having like a coffee hour discussion with a friend of ours about the merits of frozen. And you and I kind of shared these complaints <laughs> about frozen, but this movie kind of goes in a different direction, right? Exactly. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I, looking back on frozen, it, it's well-made, don't get me wrong. And there are, there are things that work, but it's one of my most, hated movies of all time because of the underlying themes uh yeah you have you have this sort of cast out person who's whose parents literally lock her away and tell her to stifle everything about her and then you know she cut she becomes free by breaking those chains and there's a lot of disney movies like i mean it's, it gets very tiresome the, the whole the kid knows more than the father they have to teach the, the mom how to live and no, this this movie is the exact opposite. They're they're trying to <laughs> literally uh, conjure up their dead father. And in this universe, I would argue morally, uh, you know, it's not it's not like uh, a, a black magic kind of thing. By discovering their true roots, to to bring back their father, and and it, it, you know, you would think just kind of oh, just to, just to to learn from you know to have a to have a moment with the father. But it's also it's more about that to discover what it means to become an adult and. You know, you saw a similar theme in Coco, and I couldn't agree more that that, that theme and the emotion that they're able to bring out of, of those themes has been very successful. I did think that Frozen, uh, excuse me, I did think that this was supposed to be like Frozen for dudes. Like, I thought that's what they were, <laughs> that, that's what they were going for. It's like, oh, well, we've got a lot of the magic of sisters, so we should do brothers. And it really didn't even... You know, because, you know, magic and like one word frozen onward, like a, it's, yeah. it's funny what parts of the dictionary they're using now, whereas like in the past, it was like put as many adjectives as possible. Uh, but, uh, you know, so the 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 it, they did a horrible job um, really uh, advertising it. But I actually think Pixar, usually when they do a really bad job advertising a movie, they, they actually come, uh, they, they surprise you like I. I didn't know what up was about, for instance, when it was coming out, but um, yeah, I know. I think that you got this exactly right. That for once uh, in a long time, you have a movie where not only do you start to see like the impact of like not being able to have a dad around has on everyone, but then how other male figures take on dad roles and that the part of like what you have to do to grow up 
is um, not usurp uh, that sort of the confines of anything, but to sort of be able to see relationships uh, in a much more full way and understand uh, what, what, why people were doing what they were doing. And even if they didn't pull it off perfectly, uh, r- the reason why, like why that foundation being there was so instrumental in your life. And I'm like, yeah, this is a movie about like rock and roll and goblins or something. And it really did. <laughs> it's the first movie that I thought did that very well uh, in a long time. And even sort of a, um, glorified sacrifice for the sake of others being, uh, you know, a, a, a high watermark of you being along your way and growing up. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that first on the, the one word title thing, that is a pet peeve of mine. I don't know. That's like brave. Yeah. Okay. That's enough. Okay. Um, but yeah, terrible advertising, you know, very, very, very well done movie. But it's really, like you said, it's more than about the search for the father in the end. It's more about a brotherhood and the, and a handing down of tradition. And, uh, you know, I, you can watch these movies with the, uh, with the political lens on and, you know, like we already mentioned, but also the, the fact that the, the manticore and the mom have to, have to have their part. But really, this is a, a movie about brothers. And, uh, it's, it's not, uh, not your typical way that you would see a children's movie playing out. And I, I thought that part was refreshing. Steve, there's there's another prominent Catholic movie reviewer. Am I allowed to mention his name? Is this like your arch rival or No, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not nearly popular enough to be a rival, but uh, he is uh, in, he is he was I, I think we're talking about Steven Gradana. S D G go ahead. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, yeah, no, you you can mention him. He's a huge influence on me and, and he is a very insightful film uh, film reviewer, yeah. not one that I always agree with. But yes, go ahead. Well, he, in his review, he kind of roped like this film together with Coco. And it's interesting because that last one, this one, and then their next release all deal very directly with the theme of death and especially like children approaching the question. And um, I, I, I've seen Coco. I've, I've read about Onward. And I'm guessing, did you and Bo watch this with your children or was it like a date night? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a family one, viewing. Family experience. Well, like one thing Gradonis brings up, and I loved Coco. Like I thought it was just this amazing artistic depiction of like Day of the Dead traditions. But in both instances, he kind of had a beef with like the theology there. Like, did your kids raise theological questions in relation to what they've learned in church about dying or was it just like an opportunity to discuss these themes in like a profound sort of way? Yeah, I think that uh, this is a very good, good uh, subject to jump off on because, you know, you can't, you can't use uh, a Pixar movie to teach kids the faith. And I think sometimes you do learn more about uh, reality from movies, unfortunately, now than you do in, in a Catholic school, for instance. But no, I think if you have kids who are well-formed in the faith, they might understand, they might have disagreements with the movie, they might have questions about the movie, but it's not going to affect them, particularly in a world where you're dealing with clearly fantastical creatures, like uh, in this one with, with elves and, uh, and warlocks and all that kind of thing, versus Coco. But I think the, the important thing is, these movies are not a real answer, ultimately, to the questions but they all diagnose the problems. These these movies that Pixar's wrestling with the with the question of death and and what is the meaning of of death in a world that putatively is all about acquiring things and commerce and satisfying your 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 instant gratific your your gratifications in the here and now. 
And I think, you know, that's why these movies are wrestling with that subject, because the modern world doesn't give you a, a good answer, but our faith does. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, people. Look, OK, so to be the nerd, I'm reminded of Aristotle saying you shouldn't expect exactness out of uh, the subject under consideration beyond the exactness that can be uh, demanded of it. So, for instance, right, there's a difference between a 90 degree angle that someone doing geometry has to prove versus what a carpenter can do in real life, because there's no such thing as perfect 90 degree angles in real life. So he's talking about this in this big philosophical point. I get this way when people are talking about movies and asking fantastical movies of all to sort of, you know, dot every I and cross every T. And it seems that that sort of misses the point. I, I mean, mm -hmm. what's in, fresh in my mind is there's been this huge Internet fight because evidently we all have time now of whether the existence of orcs like, you know, like in, in Tolkien's universe and then like Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff are orcs racist and this <laughs> huge debate about like, should you ever talk like, should you create fantastical creatures that you say all of them have certain characteristics? Now I do not want to jump off into that because it is a, a fever dream of insanity that has been happening on the internet. But of course the point being is, well guys, like, are you going to get mad at like Aesop when he says like ants are industrious and, you know, and, and bees are busy. You're like, I'm sure every single bee is, you know, their own unique flower and we're, we're over, we're papering over their personality, but you're missing the point of the form, right? Which is to say, I'm making a general analogy about how an animal is on a human behavior. Okay. Well, I think we pull this off with movies all the time that if you were going to make Coco or Onward theologically crisp with no problems, you wouldn't have a movie, you would have a theology textbook, which people would not stream into their houses uh, in 2020. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I understand if like what you were worried about is like sort of flagrant um, teachings that were like, morally appropriate, as it were. Um, but to, to, to try to kick onward in the shins because, uh, you know, a dad's legs show up, but not the upper half of his body seems to me misguided. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, art is artifice, you know, there's no point to it. And that's why it's entertaining and fun. Uh, as good as the, the Baltimore catechism is, it's, it's not going to provide you with a lot of leisure time and, uh, art is supposed to entertain, but it's also supposed to, you know, use, use artifice to convey truth in a way that is more palatable or, can be reflected more on in your lived experience. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like complaining that, you know, this, this pale ale isn't, uh, isn't a good stout. It's just totally different. And, and, you know, it's not for everyone. I don't think everyone maybe can, can get the same thing out of a movie. Um, you know, I'm sure that the personality of the person and their background plays a large part in that, but complaining about things like that and the racism of orcs you're just you're so far afield you're missing the point and it's probably best that you do go back to the catechism and turn off the tv for a while <laughs> well we're we, we only got a little bit before we come up on the break but speaking of people getting something out of a movie i think onward um you know released directly to uh streaming services because of the covid19 crisis um there had of course been movies before that one maybe we could bring up in the second half of the show like the irishman where it didn't have a theatrical release, it went straight to Netflix. Um, but this, uh, and then there's this whole hubbub blue in the news, the Trolls World Tour, which I've not watched. 
has made bukus of money. And uh, evidently the people who made it uh, are talking about, uh, I think it's Universal Studios, are talking about releasing things simultaneously online in studios after all this is over. And one theater chain said, if they do that, we'll never show one of their movies in theaters again. So uh, this is this uh, whole fight that's sort of um, getting ready to bubble up. I just wonder, Steve, as the Catholic movie guy, do you think there's something to be said about the the difference of experiencing enjoying movies? Um, that if everything goes to direct streaming, uh, would something be lost with uh, theaters declining? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe out here because I don't want to draw an analogy between like. Uh say going to mass and live streaming the mass live streaming the mass is great but it's not the same obviously there's no you know the sacraments have a real material physical element so the analogy only goes so far but there is a there is a great experience there's a uniqueness to watching a movie with other people in a theater there's a uniqueness to watching a movie with your family versus yourself and i think that movies themselves kind of call out to you and can tell you by their by what they are you know whether you really need that theater experience but speaking personally there's something very satisfying about going to the movie, having a set-aside place and a set-aside way to watch this, this film and to see it presented in the best possible way. So I think there always will be a special place and there should be movie theaters. But generally, and particularly for, for you know, lower-budget films, indie films, less visually arresting films, I don't think that, that this you know, having a theater on every other corner thing, that's just not tenable and it probably shouldn't be. It should probably be a big experience, a unique experience for maybe certain movies. And I certainly haven't, you know, especially with the prices missed, you know, just paying like $15 for a soda and pop. It's just not something I've really begrudged. So I haven't exactly cried and I've enjoyed watching movies on my couch. Yeah, I do think that uh, you're right. Like, there's, there's in w one way no analogy, but there's because uh, we don't want to like besmirch like with putting those relationships. But definitively, there's something bodily about being in a crowd. So it's funny that you can even be in a movie theater with like three other people, and like the whole point is you're there alone and it's dark, but it's still like you're a crowd. I, I mean, I think it would be the same thing, right? Like, Bud, don't you think, with, like, baseball or, or football, right? Like, you know, there's a way in which watching TV, a sport at home, is, like, a better view of the game, but it's, it's still different than being a part of the crowd. Yeah, I think we're nostalgic about theaters for a reason and the, that kind of smell of the artificial butter and taking in certain films and that kind of experience as a group. Like, I think about fans clapping during certain points of Star Wars, but... There are some films like, um, you know, the scene in Jurassic Park where the T-Rex like spins around the Jeep. I'm so right. glad I was able to see that in the theater. And unless you've got an income like Bose, you just can't recreate that experience <laughs> at home. <laughs> That's right. You, you guys should see my uh, my man cave. Well, on on uh, that note, before we start throwing out like what everybody makes, we better go to commercial <laughs> uh, for uh, Bud's boat. Uh, Steve Whitmer here, the Catholic movie guy. We're going to take this break and then we'll be back right after this. This is the Uncommon Good. Stick around right after these messages. <laughs> Wednesday. We're glad to have you on the show. Thank you for listening and supporting Iowa Catholic Radio. Our guest is uh, one of the most all-starriest of all-stars here on The Uncommon Good. We have Steve Whitmer, the Catholic movie guy, back on the show. Steve, thank you for being with us. 
Thanks for having me. So I know that we want to uh, try to get through other movies to talk about. We, we, we talked about Onward and, and sort of uh, referred back to a lot of things and made us talk about the, the, the idea of watching movies themselves. But let's actually talk about some other flicks that we want to make sure that people, uh, you know, get your magisterial Highlanderish opinion on about whether they should watch or not. One of the obvious ones that um, I think was making the rounds in people's minds right before uh, COVID and stuff started to really kick in. Um, the Netflix special of Martin Scorsese, The Irishman. Um, as you pointed out in the first part of the show, Steve, uh, whereas Onward is a family flick that we can generally recommend, there's a few things that people should keep in mind and uh, you know, always recommend it what's best for your family. The Irishman is decided, decidedly not for children and some other adult humans. Uh, mm. But uh, that doesn't mean that it's not something worthy of consideration. So, Steve, The Irishman. So before before I get to the particulars, just to satisfy those commenters of mine who stumble upon my podcast and then tell me that the movie is rated R and so they won't be watching it, um, I totally respect your decision. And there are a lot of great websites that you can find out like the exact minute that such and such curse word or scene occurs. You can check out IMDb's Parent Guide. You can check out KidsInMind.com, um, the Catholic News Service. They all do a great job. So be aware of those and, and before you go into any movie. But if you're going to take the plunge on The Irishman, I think that you're going to be rewarded extremely. You're also going to have your whole night full because it's like three and a half hours or whatever. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, we discussed this on my podcast a while back, Bo, but uh, even though it, it probably you could cut a half an hour and you still have a great movie, why would you kind of a thing? And especially during the time of Corona, uh, just saddle in and uh, watch a mob movie but it's not just, you know, you think you're going to get Goodfellas Part 3 or Casino Part 2. You're wrong because I think this is Martin Scorsese and Martin Scorsese's, you know, hashtag mob picture reckoning with its own mortality and its own meaning. And everything in this movie, I think, is framed from a, a Catholic view of the end of life, the finality of, of the, you know, the mortal world passing away and and are you going to be able to make amends or to, to get right before the end? Yeah, I have to say off the bat that I wasn't bothered by the, the length of this film. And sometimes I'm not a fan of, of, of really long films. Like I, I think to myself, like, oh, an hour could have easily been cut, for instance, from Dances with Wolves. Um, but uh, with this film, I think the length of it really serves an important purpose because uh, the, the, the premise of this 83-year-old man thinking back over his long life and trying to make sense of it. So in that, in that sense, I didn't really, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really feel bored much during watching the film, but uh, I'm curious to hear both of your guys takes about, you know, uh, Flannery O'Connor talked about the Christ haunted South. And I think Scorsese, like this isn't a very original opinion. He's certainly like a Catholic haunted filmmaker, like his experience of the church growing up has certainly impacted how he does films, but really, especially towards the end of his career where you've got the departed, I think disappointment in the church being in the background of that film and then silence, of course, uh, about Portuguese missionaries uh, heading to Japan, like it's front and center. Um, how, how do you all like take those three films together? So those two and then the Irishman in terms of understanding where Scorsese stands with the faith now, or is that, you know, is it hard to, to plumb? The only thing I'll throw out before, you know, we turn it over to Steve is like Bud doing shots fired at dances with wolves might be the most complaints we get on our show ever. So, <laughs> but that was ill-advised because the dances with wolvites, I think that's their name. Not kidding. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, All those Kevin no. Costner fans out there. Yeah, the Kevin Costner fans. Costner's fair game. Costner's fair game. No, uh, Steve, I actually think that like, when I was on your show, that we we talked about this sort of um, uh, trilogy uh, of, of of Martin Scorsese, at least uh, plumbing the depths of of what does it mean mean to rectify um, what he's known for the sort of ultra violence in his movies with. Um, the sort of Catholic imagery that, of course, really f- uh, f- is the foundation of, a, of of his camera work in many ways. Yeah, and uh, you know, Bud makes a great point with with the Flannery quote. But you know, everyone is not just Catholics who may have fallen away to some extent, but everyone is Christ haunted because he's the center of of history, and so you know, you see that more or less in, I think, almost every work of art, but with Scorsese, it's just becoming more and more obvious. Um, I think that, actually, an interesting movie to go back to outside of those three is Hugo. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's ostensibly a children's film, and it's about kind of the magic of, of film and art and, what, what you know, why it's important, why it's so meaningful, which harkens back to our beginning of this discussion. But that was kind of one of the first movies. I mean, even back to like Raging Bull, he was he was wrestling with the faith, obviously. Uh, he always has. But that was kind of the first one where he's kind of taking stock of his life, seeing the, the end of the tunnel, and I think trying to, to rectify and, and come to grips with it. And it's only, you know, gotten more and more forceful uh, throughout, throughout that time. I do think that that's an interesting... Um, to... to I think that people are drawn to these sort of things when they see people make films that are um, <clears throat> that they get known for that are so, uh, let's say, problematic in the view of, of religion, like uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, for instance, with uh, Martin Scorsese. But then in the end, like addressing on the nose this idea of like, am I actually w- would I stand behind the choices I've made? And it's one thing to hear someone say that themselves and talk about it, but to to show it in a work of art, um, I think that that's why some of these late movies of any sort of artist, just like the sort of late paintings or the late poems um, of certain of the greats, uh, really, it's not necessarily that maybe they're the best or not, you know, like that's that's different artist to artist, but this sort of question of being able to take a, a, a movie, which in many ways already is sort of... Um, by nature, uh, nostalgic, right? Like every time you watch a movie, you watch things that they filmed the year before. Um, but, but movies make us reminisce and think back. And so here you have people who've made uh, a career out of making us think back and remember, and now they're doing it sort of live for us. And uh, if there's anything else that um, the Irishman does well, it's, it's not only Scorsese, it's someone like uh, Joe Pesci, who to me may be his best role that he's ever done. Um, it, you can't help but think he's also making a commentary not only on the character in the movie, but on other characters he's played. Um, which, you know, that's why I think it, it's, it's resonated with so many people. I also think that's why so many people are dogging on the old scenes where Robert De Niro is supposed to be a young man, but he 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 beats people up like an old man would. Uh, that that would be the the CGI in a few places would be the only thing I think uh, other uh, that people can rattle a bit. Otherwise, I really do think it's a very powerful and good movie. Yeah, yeah and, and, uh, and uh, oh, go ahead. No, I think I. I mean, I, you guys gave the necessary provisos at the beginning of the uh, of this segment, but uh, if, if folks can bear through some of that um i don't want to give away the ending 
But I think it's a profound reflection at the end there about Catholic sacramentality and um, God's grace in the midst of, of course, like sort of like a terrible um, personal journey in a lot of ways. Uh, Steve, I wanted to pivot real quick to uh, the marriage story. This is another film that, you know, um, you, you have to give the necessary precautions before. Not uh, so Christ haunted either. <laughs> <not> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, it did receive a lot of praise. I'm, I was far less of a fan of this film than uh, The Irishman. But what do you think? Uh, why do you think it was nominated for an Oscar and has gotten a lot of critical praise? So I, uh, I have to, I have to be the man on the island on this one because I, I think I'm going to be a contrarian based on those guffaws. Um, I do think it's Christ haunted, not nearly in, the, in the, an explicit way uh, like the Irishman, but um, it's, it's a story that I think it, again it strikes a nerve in our time because of the modern age and the ubiquity of divorce. And it's an interesting movie because. Uh, it, do, it takes the divorce as a given. There's no question that these characters are getting divorced and their, their reasons for doing so are so banal and selfish, transparently so, so, so stupid, you know? Um, it's not like some horrible thing, like a, a Walter White situation where the, they're going to break up. It's, it's just, it's just like, oh, well, you didn't want me to be a director. Oh, you didn't want to move to, L. it's so stupid. And the, the collateral damage of this whole thing is the child who doesn't speak too much, but speaks volumes just through a, a look. And I think that through the, the utter banality and the stupidity of these two people and the reasons that this is falling apart, you see the problems of, of divorce in the modern world. I wanted to say two things about it. <clears throat> I was determined to hate it, okay? When I, when I heard all the praise from, oh, great, a, a divorce story is more like this and so stupid, blah, 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 blah. I saw a couple of clips online, and I thought it was like filled with overacting. And, uh, you know, a lot of people hate Adam Driver. A lot of people hate ScarJo. A lot of people love them. I somewhat have a man crush on Adam Driver. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he can grow hair and I really can't. I don't know. But uh, I thought that he was fantastic. And I thought that, you know, about halfway through, it kind of took a turn. Once I got over the fact that this divorce is stupid, I was able to just see the, the human suffering. And I think that, you know, there's a somewhat hopeful, not, there's not a pat resolution, but there's a somewhat hopeful conclusion toward it. And it's certainly not pro-divorce. So well done, struck a nerve. And I, I think that, you know, there's merit there, although it's not a pleasant experience. And my wife just hated it. So I had to send her away <laughs> and finish it on my own. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought it was a compelling depiction of a relationship gone awry. And even how, like, sometimes for human beings, what are just like, throwaway sentences can take on this immense gravity beyond what we at first um, assume. And I also, I'll, I'll have to say, I, from the previews, it did look like overacting, but I would have to laud the performances of, of, of uh, Driver and Johansson. Um, that being said, there were a couple moments that kind of ruined it for me. You remember the speech from her lawyer about Our Lady? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. At first, I thought it was like an ironic piece of the film, sort of like how Catholic Christian understandings have influenced like how we see the relationship between men and women, husband and wives. But I, it's, it felt to me at the end of it that the filmmaker thought this was really profound. And for me, it was sort of like, uh, you know, like honestly in 11th grade budding feminist sounding off, but do you think, do you think I'm getting that scene wrong? I, I don't necessarily think you're getting the scene wrong. Um, I think there is a, a strained interpretation you can make that is a little defensible, but yeah, it's a little pat and, uh, the, the saving grace, though, but is that it's coming out of a divorce lawyer's mouth. 
So it's like, it's almost self-negating as being profound, in my opinion. And I am a lawyer. I'm not a divorce lawyer. So to me, that's the saving grace. If it had been Johansson herself saying it, it might have ruined the mood for me. But because it was her divorce lawyer, who's clearly making good points, alternating with manipulating her into doing things mm. that she doesn't want to do. Uh, that it, it, I think it, you can you can get past it, in my opinion. But yeah, not a, not a great speech in itself. Well, I think that no matter what, we can say that it has the movie has created one of the better memes of the last few years, where Adam Driver punching the wall hole in the wall. Uh, people on the internet have like put all sorts of hilarious jokes uh, up against the picture of him punching the hole in the wall, and for at least that, um, we can we can say thank you to the Marriage Story for a wonderful meme. I know that that's what all movies strive for. If we can reduce uh, a, a work of art to a, you know, a Twitter uh, picture, then that's all we need, really. That's it. That's, you've done your job. <laughs> well, well, speaking of... Uh, not, I was going to say, like, I want to make sure that we have enough time, because, yeah. like, we have the meeting of one of the greatest memes of all time, Crying Michael Jordan, with... Uh, the documentary that all uh, that all of us have been waiting for, because in, if you love sports and you're sports starved, uh, the Last Dance, which is uh, the documentary that's currently going on on ESPN about the final season uh, of the Chicago Bulls getting ready to win uh, their sixth title and uh, of their their second uh, three peat. Although really, it's a documentary of like the '90s and all of everything. Um, Oklahoma even shows up because Dennis Rodman played uh, for Southeastern State. I had to throw that in. Uh, and uh, so, uh, guys, I mean, that to me is going to be the hardest thing to decide in the end is, is this documentary <laughs> truly great? Or is it like everybody who's 30 to 40 years old who loves sports just needed this so bad that we would have taken anything? I I'm leaning towards, I think it's really well done. Um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to know what you guys think, because I mean, documentaries can be very dry. Sports ones can be very hackneyed and like hit very wooden points. Um, I think that they're even doing brilliant stuff like pairing Michael and Scotty first and then doing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Rodman and uh, uh, Coach Jackson together. What do you guys think about this? Is, is it just us uh, wishing sports were back on and that it was 1998 again? Or are, are we watching greatness? I think it's truly great. And I, I can't tell if it's the filmmaker who's doing an amazing job or just like you're saying, Bo, the material that's involved. But uh, I, I have to say, Steve, um, like those personalities, Scotty Pippen, uh, Phil Jackson, Tony Kukoc and Jordan all together just makes for great um, theater. And I know, Steve, you're someone who's uh, grew up a huge Jordan admirer, but you've also been a, a, a healthy, robust fan of LeBron. But to me, this this settles the GOAT debate. I mean, that level yeah. of natural talent, but combined with Jordan's, I mean, I I would even go beyond fierce competitiveness. Like the desire to destroy other players and teams is just amazing to watch unfold. Yeah, I mean, when you when you see like uh, the Catholic the Catholic view of you know all all things are directed toward an end, and everyone has their special role to fill. I mean, Jordan is the basketball player. It's not just like he's the greatest basketball player of all time he is the basketball player the platonic form of basketball player and uh i actually you know i grew up this is obviously it hits me right where i live we're all about the same age um but i grew up hating jordan because in my yeah, house same here actually because, of because my mom it, and the it, lakers anyway keep going yeah Sorry. you have this you have this in spades though i know this much you, i mean we, my household we rooted for the underdog that's what you did 
you found out right. who was the absolute worst player or the worst team, and yet that's who you rooted for, and that's why you root for. As I've grown older and I've come to appreciate, not just like in the sports sense, but art, I try to, and you know, I try to appreciate greatness and to see the good in whatever thing it is. And you know, Jordan, I, 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 I don't regret it, but I mean, it's kind of a shame that I just took like a rooting perspective instead of an appreciative perspective back then. And I mean, the man is. It's it's just it's it's amazing, and I think that uh, you know if I had it to do over again, I think I'd appreciate instead of root against. But you know, you, you're a limited human, and so it is what it is. My favorite is the people trying to show uh, the the pettiness that uh, sports people can have now. Like the the first one came out, and someone was like. Look at Jordan taking all those inefficient two pointers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that era of basketball to me is is much more fun to watch. Mm. Uh, it's not as beautiful. It's certainly not as statistically intelligent to take you know very very far twos instead of stepping back two feet and taking threes. But it's much more. Uh, there's much more art to it than now. You just like this utilitarian calculus of either dunk or shoot a three. Uh, back then, it was much more trench warfare and 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 beauty in his, his game. Well, I think that uh, and, uh, we're coming up to the end here, but like just to, to defend like doing a documentary well, it's funny how like this in many ways has been like uh, the, the last few months have been documentary driven. Obviously the Tiger King is the one that has like made huge sort of like cultural uh, the roundabout and involves Oklahoma. So people talk to me a lot about it. But there's a way in which some documentaries are just like, well, just show the crazy thing for whatever it is, you know, <laughs> just let the madness reign. And then, then there's other ones that are like, bury the lead, hide the premise, and like leave each episode like surprising, right, or to the end. Um, the, this documentary is a story, and it, it does another thing that documentaries will do, right, where it sort of like shuffles back and forth in time. But like, mm -hmm. you know, I want to give a thumbs up for and celebrate someone who who's does good choices about when they're talking about 1998 and when they like go back and talk about the past. And it really, yeah. so far, I just think it's been masterful um, them, them pulling that off. I, I know we're up against the wall, but uh, I, I have to say I'm a fan of today's NBA basketball and there's a lot of compelling players. I think like the cosmopolitan drift of American culture has kind of ruined professional sports in some way because I'm like, man, I don't think it's just a nostalgia thing. 90s basketball was superior, and I was trying to put my finger on it. I think it's it's the greatness of some of the players, but also I don't know if we have that same sense. Like these guys are the Chicago players, and that's Detroit or Boston, and like they absolutely hate each other <laughs> to the point that Jordan would be bitter enough to leave Isaiah Thomas off of the dream team because Thomas didn't shake his hand after uh, you know yeah. finally seating the throne. The haterade, the, the haterade is sweet in the 90s. Oh, <laughs> all right, on that one, Steve, we do have to let you go. Steve, please tell the good people where they can go find your work as the Catholic movie guy so that they can hear more in-depth uh, takes on uh, the movies as they come up. Website is catholicmovieguy.com, Facebook, Twitter, Catholic Movie Guy, and Catholic Movie Guy Podcast on Apple or whatever you want to want to look for it i'll be there and uh, i'll do at least one podcast every quarter so there you go well steve it's great to have you on the show i in fact i invite anyone to go back and look in our archives to hear you it's always great to have you on the show you're one of our favorite guests uh keep safe happy easter tide and we'll talk to you later buddy thanks guys appreciate it thanks steve
This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the whole galaxy, the entire kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good. <laughs>